Welcome to Converge Coffee with Sean Sullivan. I'm here with Alex Parrish. He is the CEO of Practically Speaking LLC, author of The Minivan Mogul, a crash course in confidence for women, and a host of the Mini Mo- Minivan Mogul podcast. That was a tongue twister there. Her passion for all things speaking comes from spending nearly two decades as a speech language pathologist, helping people regain the ability to speak after illness or injury. Alex is a motivational TEDx speaker, facilitator, and mentor. She helps others speak and share their stories with confidence using strategies she's learned the hard way through her career. She's a nationally certified speech pathologist, speech language pathologist, as a background in adult neurology and emotional intelligence and is an EQ-I 2.0 certified administrator. Most most importantly or more importantly, she um, Alex blends her scientific approach speaking with her love of storytelling, laughter, and humor into her work with individual clients and corporate teams. Most importantly, she's a mom, minivan driver, and front row fan for her speakers. Alex, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Man, we had such a fun time in the green room talking about everything. <laughs> Life, <laughs> all the things, speaking, all of it. Yeah. Um, some really good stuff here. And I think it's gonna it's it's gonna help, especially with with this episode. And I put in, you know, the EQ-I just because, you know, SEO purposes, transcription these oh, days, God. like it's so important, but this is about you, <laughs> not transcriptions. <laughs> I got to laugh at that bio because I'm like, who wrote all that ridiculousness? (laughs) So many big words. Stop. (laughs) But it was good. It was it was it was telling to your story. It was telling to you. And so I think a lot of listeners want to know. And I and I in if you haven't signed up for uh, practically speaking newsletter, I would say do it now um, right after this episode. But you know, can you tell the listeners more about, you know, practically speaking? Sure. So practically speaking was born out of a love and an understanding for just how challenging it can be for people to speak up, whether that's in front of one person, whether that's in front of a thousand people. I help people say what they need and want to say. And this is at the core of who I am and how I operate because I spent nearly 17 years as a speech language pathologist, helping people who either by accident, by illness, injury, even by birth, they lost their ability to speak. So imagine what it would be like right now, Sean, if you where you're talking today, we don't have any, we don't actually have any technical trouble talking to each other, but you wake up tomorrow and you've had a stroke and you didn't get the chance to say everything that you needed and wanted to say. And I went into work every day and watched people crippled from that and helping them get regain that ability and watching their appreciation for even being able to say the simplest things like mom, I love you uh, asking for basic needs and wants. And so when I created practically speaking, that was my heart of it is to look at professionals and go, Oh my gosh, I need to make this simple for you because you already know everything that you need and want to say, you actually already know how to do it but the world has somehow gotten in your head and all the rules and regulations of how to be a great speaker have gotten into your head and have paralyzed you. And I don't want you to go through life not having said what it is that you needed and wanted to say. 
So that's the heart of it. <laughs> I love that. Um, and you've touched on a point. I've actually talked to a few speakers about that, that people already know. It's kind of like um, the Walt Disney thing where children already know and they already say things. And then we're accustomed to these rules of societal things that yeah. inhibit us. They yes. really do inhibit us. Yes. I I point to, a, I, there's usually a moment in someone's life where they have had this moment of someone has told them how to do it. Here's the exact right way. It probably happened in second grade where some teacher stood you up in front of a group and said, here's like, here's the rubric and you got to do all these things the right way. And I say right with air quotes because there actually is not a set of rules that says this is the right way to speak. Many, many great speakers have particular quirks or things that they do, but we we want to assign this very programmatic like blitz machine. Here's what a perfect speaker looks like instead of focusing on is the person saying what they need and want to say? Did the audience understand? Was it persuasive? Whatever the goal of it was. But my gosh, these poor kids are stood up there and they're like, if they, mm-hmm. if they wiggle their hands, it's like, stop wiggling your hands. I'm like, if you're watching, like, you can't see me now, but all I do is move my yeah. hands. So I think we do a disservice by looking at a speaker or, you know, looking at like a tiny little second grade speaker and saying, here is the right way to do it. And then making them paralyzed with fear. And maybe that occurs later on. Maybe you've had a bad presentation at work or you've had a conversation go sideways or somebody has somebody has pointed out something to you that is really just their opinion that actually isn't impeding your ability to be a great speaker. Agreed. And the same thing with uh, comedy. You notice com- comedians have certain quirks <laughs> or certain nervous tics. But the other thing I've noticed is especially like with um, with Jerry Seinfeld when he did his comedians and cars getting coffee, he says that comedians just have that natural rapport with one another because they get it. Yep. And I think that speakers do the same thing. They just get it. Uh, yep. Podcasters, anybody who's doing anything to any type of communication, they get it. And that's the kind of the thing is um, I can see why, you know, people have that rubric um, mm-hmm. because they're basically breaking you down, but they're not breaking you down in the right way in the sense of breaking you down the foundation of who you are and how do you want to present yourself? They're breaking you down into the sense, like what you said, kind of, it's almost robotic. It's yeah. almost like this is a checklist yes. of what to do rather yeah. than be who you are and how people are going to resonate with that. Right. Right. And in learning and teaching early on that maybe you are not for everyone and that's an, that's an okay thing. We are not robots. We are not uh, designed to try to master perfection. And I think so much of what happens in the realm of public speaking and why it has become such a fear for so many people is because when the standard is perfection and you're not allowed to make a mistake, that's crippling. That's crippling. Instead of teaching people most most people don't have to go and be a politician where like that's a whole different level of speaking. Most people are trying to, they're trying to get up in front of their executive leadership team. They're trying to have a conversation with their boss. They're trying to give a presentation for their business and not have it be a, a disaster. But that fear of perfection is crippling. So we actually take away in many instances, what would help a speaker do what they needed to do normally and naturally. And, and we, we place expectations that are just unreasonable. Uh, let me give you an example. It's the don't use notes. 
So, uh, you know, professional speakers don't use notes. <laughs> like, who the heck said? Has anyone ever watched Oprah? Have you ever watched? Like, yeah. This is why presidents use teleprompters to take away something that might help a speaker get through and deliver their information in a way that the audience can understand. Why on earth would you? That's like taking crutches away from somebody that's got a broken foot. Mm-hmm. you're not a machine. You're not supposed to remember everything. If you need a couple of notes, use your notes. My God, don't re- I mean, don't read to me, but yeah, I just, exactly. these arbitrary, but you, have to, but you have to start somewhere. Like if you're kind of yeah. looking at the notes more, but practice, that's kind of the biggest yeah. thing is just, just practice. So my next question off of that is, you know, how did practically speaking, you know, how did that lead you to writing the minivan mogul? Oh, gosh. Yes. So a couple of things to note for people. I tell people all this time. Number one, I never planned on having a company or owning my own business. This was never on the agenda. So I look at all of these things and I'm like, did you have some master plan? Not a chance. How Minivan Mogul came to pass. It was, I am... I've opened Practically Speaking. I'm working on Practically Speaking. I'm watching what speakers do. I'm I'm trying to create this expert industry, this niche for myself. And I'm working with my business coach who is a master and a genius. And she said, Alex, you are a good writer. You know, have you ever considered writing? And I'm like, yeah, I blog. I do all these things. But she's like, I think you need to write a book. And I'm like, okay. So I took that as let's write a leadership presence book because one of the one of the courses that I teach is leadership presence of how do you show up in the world and really what it is is a course of showing up as yourself. But and how do you do that and feel good about it? But I I started writing what was the most god awful version of a leadership book that could have ever been written. It's so bad. The leadership presence myth is what it's called. It lives in the files of my computer in a sad, dark, lonely place because it's bad. It's the worst leadership book. And my business coach, mentor, friend, she sat through so many iterations of this and she would just shake her head and she'd be like, no. God, no. (laughs) What are you what are you doing? And you know, we would have these conversations. We would have these conversations oftentimes in 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 my van. I I would be on the phone as back in the day when we could drive around and do things. And I would always joke and be like, you know, conference call from the minivan and thoughts from the minivan. And she finally said one day to me, she said, Alex, what if the minivan is the key to your success? And I sort of giggled. I'm like, nobody is going to take a minivan driving mom seriously. I used to try to hide my minivan from people because I I live in Hamilton County. This is the bubble. I feel like if you don't drive a Beamer, like, who are you? So I used to, I used to hide it. And I thought, nobody, nobody's going to want to hear these stories. But, I, you know, she would just sort of nudge me along the way. And so I started playing with it. And I started playing with blogs that I wrote. And I started thinking about, like, what are the road rules that I want to create for myself. So the book in and of itself is a series of five road rules for confidence and their rules. And I say that very loosely because here's what I know. You read self-help books and like you take what is important to you and then you use it. And no, you can't 
formula or fix anybody. So that's not what the book set out to do. But ultimately, in this process of trying to write a really bad leadership book, Minnie and Mogul emerged and said, here, like, here's who you really are. And let's help people be who they really are, especially women, because we do do weird things like try to hide our minivans. And we try to, you know, eyelash ourselves into perfection. And we try to find our worth and value in anything other than ourselves. And so I created this series of like, here's, here are the guides that I use every day for myself. And here are some hilarious stories. And you're going to take this book and use it as you want. It's short. It's simple. It's really easy read. I designed it for moms who are standing in the line at Target and only have five minutes to read. And it fits right into a handbag. And it's just... It's this weird, quirky book. It's the actual representation of me in human form in a book. So that's how it was born. That's how my baby was born. That is freaking awesome. You you nailed on an audience. You just you just basically articulate. I could envision that book being in a mom or yep. anybody's like hand, literally yep. going yep. to a coffee shop. I was literally picturing Target Target right now. I don't Ooh. know why. But that's the kind of the thing it's, it's, it's meant for, you know, all the moms or everybody out there or anybody who it, wants it, to read that because they're connecting with you and your word and, and your humor and everything else. That's how I connected with, um, you know, a few authors that I, I absolutely, you know, love because you can, you can connect with them through the book. You don't have to actually talk to them. Yeah. The beauty of it. Well, and what's fun about it is that it, obviously it's niched, right? So it says for women and it lends itself towards moms. And people are like, well, I can't read it. I'm not a mom. I'm like, that's not true. I've had loads of men read it and say, Alex, why, like, why did you not write this for everybody? I'm like, because you can't, because that's the way marketing rules work. But the, the rules are universal mm -hmm. and the stories are actually pretty darn universal. It's the struggle to feel good in your own skin. It's the ridiculous things that we do in an attempt to somehow earn the approval of somebody else that actually doesn't matter in our lives. And it's the search for, and the realization that true confidence only comes from within, it doesn't come from other people. You're never going to find it from anybody else. And so this is just my way of telling you that in hilarious and awkward stories, you know, some, some sorts of moments that'll tug at your heart and make you, make you feel mushy or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's really designed like car rider line, you know, <laughs> five minute read. Yes. It's designed. It's designed In the extra extra long Starbucks car like yes, <laughs> drive through yes. lanes. Yes. Oh heck! I mean, you could probably read half of it in a Starbucks line these days. Jeez, like everybody with their mobile orders going through the drive through stop, killing me. <laughs> or the car side pickup. Like I just read someone from yesterday. It was like fifty five minutes. She said someone already else got theirs, and I'm like, so she's like, I could have just gone into the store and been out by now. Yes, right. What's going on, Starbucks? That's a whole different conversation. I love, I love some Starbucks, and it's you could read my book waiting for your mobile order. Is what we're what? saying. You, <laughs> you just answered, you know, how the book has helped cultivated confidence communication, which has yeah. been awesome. And so I'm going to kind of go right into the third question that we have, and this is going to be the last question. So you can go yeah. freely about, and we can talk about next. You know, the native language of of is typo, but yes. you know, how do you cultivate a great customer experience by being a front row fan. You've mentioned several things and you've kind of hinted on it, 
throughout, you know, practically speaking and the minivan mogul, the book and everything you've done, but is there any like examples that you want to give um, sure. about that? Sure. So if I have a gift, it's the gift of sitting with someone where they are and allowing them to be who they are and drawing out their story in a way that honors them and makes them feel like the star of the show. So a great example of this, I do a boatload of speaker coaching. I think that's how you and I met was through Disrupt HR. So I sit on the board and the speaker liaison there and um, also participate in the Badass Women's Council, the Rise and Thrive Experience. And I am the speaker coach for all of the women that get up and share their stories. And so when I say I'm a front row fan, I literally, number one, I do sit in the front row when I'm at an event and then my speakers are on a stage. And if I can't be there uh, physically, then I, I make every attempt to be there virtually as well in, in this sort of context. But I provide both the insight into the story and the drawing out which that says that I'm a fan, which means that I take the time. So think about how a fan operates. A fan knows like all the things about the person that they're jamming on. So whoever your favorite person is, like I'm a huge Oprah fan. So I know lots of stuff about Oprah or I know lots of stuff about Princess Di. I'm the same way for my speakers. My goal is to know as much about you as possible so I can bring out the best in you when you go to say whatever it is that you need and want to say. And, and that holds true even in the professional realm. So for the folks that aren't necessarily doing big stage speaking, but they're just going into a, a presentation, they're going into a boardroom, I want to know everything about you and champion you and your message and the the points that you're trying to get across. And I'm going to take that time to become your super fan. It, right. It's not about me as the coach, as the guide. It is all about you and whatever I can do to make you shine on whatever platform that you are on. I like that. I'm just kind of thinking of, are you an Enneagram three? <laughs> nope you want to guess what enneagram i am oh that's oh <laughs> i have to think here and i only speak street enneagram so chip nighty taught me to look at enneagram pick the one that made me cringe the most and that's the one i am so interesting uh-huh. oh <laughs> difficult a, let me let me I'm, see are you a seven no oh Mm-mm. i am what makes you cringe the most mm-hmm. oh man my name if it's like the last number out of this i'm not gonna guess like i'm probably gonna guess the last number four no i'm a two okay i'm a two i just went went over my head there (laughs) yes okay that makes sense because achiever and helper are are pretty close but achiever likes to achieve for themselves too in that sense but helper they help yeah they help people so we have a commonality i'm not a two but I'm an eight. Ah. But I'm, when I'm healthy, I am a helper. There you go. See? So there, yeah. <laughs> I always like that. When I'm healthy, because we're not always healthy. Thank you for being honest and real. Yes, exactly. And this is why I'm doing this podcast, because I'm healthy. <laughs> yes. Yes. So going off of no more grilling questions, we're gonna go, we're gonna go and talk about because you mentioned this. My native language is typo. And I don't yeah. know if you want to. You want to let the speakers or not the speakers, the listeners know, and they're probably speakers out there listening too. Um, what is what is the native language for typo? 
So my native language is typo. That is the lead line on my LinkedIn profile. I lead many, many, many of my presentations with that. And what I mean by that, so is that I am a speaker. I'm an expert in speaking. I have years and years and years and years. I can tell you stuff about speaking that would blow your mind, right? From the neurology of it to how you formulate sounds. I know speaking inside and out and I still get it wrong. And I think it's really important. Um, it's one of the cornerstones of my business is for people to know that I am as, just as human as you are. So I am not a machine when I talk. I, I have all sorts of weird, funny quirks. Uh, I, when I write, I have all sorts of typos and I, what I have found is that that is a very comforting thing for my audiences. It's a very comforting thing for the speakers that work with me. Because again, when you think about classic communication and classic speaking coaching, there is this demand for perfection. And I, if you are looking for perfection, I'm not the coach for you. And so I need you to know right up front that I'm going to mess up and that that's okay. And that you're going to mess up and that's okay. And in fact, most of the process of speaking and communicating isn't about necessarily the delivering of the greatest message. It's about how do you recover when you get it wrong? Because you will, you will, if you speak enough, if you communicate enough, you are going to get it wrong. And it's the recovery that matters more than the best speech that I've ever given on a stage. My best moments have been the ones that where I have had something really bad happen and I've had to recover. Those are the most impactful. So I like people to know right off the bat that my native language is typo. You're going to see it. And if that is not for you, then we are not for each other because I don't it, that I just live in a world that this is this is reality that we are imperfect, and that's a that's a that's all right. That's good. <laughs> We're supposed to be. It's a different level of practice in the sense that you can practice to a point and get a speech right, mm-hmm. and it just sound it doesn't resonate. It's humdrum. It's whatever. Yeah. And then you go to you see people who give speeches, even stand up comedians. I mean, the way that they have done their stuff is, is that even, I mean, even on Netflix that we've, since we're, you know, 2020 COVID, even (laughs) watching Netflix and everything too, that you see, you know, slip ups or an audience member distracts them in a sense that they engage with them and it makes them laugh too, but they recover quickly because they know, you know, it's kind of like working out or something like that, where you know how your body is going to react to it. And you're, you're not on guard, but you're aware of yeah. this could happen. Yeah. I think well, that's very astute in the sense of a lot of people don't teach that. Right. Because again, we want perfection. We want Instagram perfect. We're told that that's the, that's the level. And, and if we don't hit that bar that we are somehow less than, and I don't think that's true. The people that I think that are the most inspiring are the ones that have said, not only have I not gotten it right, I've gotten it wrong in a thousand different ways. And I'm here to I'm here to teach you about that. So maybe when it happens to you, it's not as traumatic. I think about how many speakers I have worked with that have had a traumatic speaking experience that has crippled them for years and stopped them from doing the work and saying the things that they needed and wanted to say. Think about the impact on a business or on a life. When when we let a moment of failure 
dictate how we show up in the world for years to come. That's a loss for our communities. That's a loss for our businesses. That's a loss for us personally. I just can't let that happen because it, it just it breaks my heart. How many speakers I've I've I have seen and talked to who, who can point to a specific moment, either in a conversation, on a stage, in a boardroom, that where they messed up and they were shamed and they they felt like they could never recover. And I'm like, oh my gosh, no one ever died over a bad PowerPoint. They just didn't. Yeah. I actually worked with people who would die, right? Like they, like I worked in healthcare. My patients would die. No one has died from a bad PowerPoint presentation. You might have felt like it. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it's we, the negativity that's already yeah. consumed us beforehand of kind yeah. of eliminating that. Get it. Yes. Get it. Yeah. Yep. And I'm not, I'm just not going to let that happen to people. I'm going to try to get to as many folks as I can and say, whatever you've been taught before, whatever is in your head, whatever trash that's rolling around in there, it just simply isn't true. And you have something to say. So let's get you out there saying it. Even if it's wonky, even if it's imperfect, even if you have a typo, you can live through that. That mm-hmm. that is not like we should not be living or dying over whether or not you misspelled restaurant. I still can't spell restaurant, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for spell check. <laughs> There's some words that I actually have to like stop and I actually have to articulate and say, "Yes, no, I get it. I yep. I get it." <laughs> yep, all day long, all day long. <laughs> so enough about typos. You're helping other people. It's about this is part of the episode about you. I mean, we can talk about Oprah. We can talk about other things too. Um, And and it's more so, you know, you kind of hinted on throughout the whole episode of why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you, for work? But if you want to kind of be more specific and this is what, this is why. So this is why I do this? Yes. Oh gosh. I, I mean. You wake up in the morning and you're like, the first thing that you think of is like, how can I, yeah, how can I, uh, so I always say if I could have been anything, I would have been on Broadway. I would have been a performer. I would have been, I would have been that. I didn't realize when I went into speech pathology that the world of learning and talent development and that this was a thing. I have watched motivational speakers my whole life and pictured myself doing this. I have pictured myself on stages. I have pictured what shoes I would wear. I picture how I would move and how I would talk. And so the, the why in all of this, the why I have to talk about typos, the why I have to encourage people to be confident is these are the things I most had to learn myself. So the adage that people say, people teach what they most need to learn this is what I most needed to learn was that I had a voice and that I was powerful and that what I said mattered and and mattered enough to change lives. And so that's, I mean, you want the real dirty, like in the crux of it is that I know what it feels like to not be seen. I know what it feels like to not be heard. I know what it feels like to desperately want to be on that stage and taking up space and taking up air and getting people on their feet. I know what that feels like. And I, so I do it and I teach it and I learn it and I fall down all the time. And 
I didn't have anybody to grab me and pull me up. Like when I failed in the beginning of this, I've given some epically bad presentations. I've done some terrible speeches. I have messed up in every way possible. And there wasn't anyone there to pick me up other than me. So I don't ever want anyone to go through that feeling. I'm like, no, I want you to have that person to call to say, I fell flat on my face, Alex. Like, who wants to do this alone? I don't want to do this alone. Do you want to do it alone? Nobody wants to do it alone. No, it's I don't, maybe you do. Human nature is all about connection. It's yes. all about connection. It's not about robotics. It's not about algorithms. Yep. It's about human to human connection, about how can we help one another? It's about community. Yep. Um, so the next part of the episode is what do you do as a hobby, you know, to kind of recharge? So you know this, your listeners don't know this, but I am definitely an exercise junkie. So I'm a CrossFitter. I'm a runner. I've been a little bit laid up during COVID. I suffered a back injury for the first time. I've never had an injury, but this was my year to have the injury. Um, so I've been a little laid up, but I am, I'm a marathon runner, a half marathon runner, a CrossFitter. Those are the things that bring me life. I love to pick very heavy things up and throw them down and make like wild animal noises. <laughs> because that feels really powerful. Um, that brings me a lot of joy. I am an avid reader. I love to read I lo and all sorts of things, everything from, uh, you know, I've got like Michelle Obama's, uh, you know, becoming all the way to my friend Kitsy wrote a book called I'd Rather Talk to Dead People. <laughs> you you <laughs> know it. <laughs> I'm gonna like, I, I love to read and in my family, uh, I am a mom and a wife and that those things at the end of the day, I'm still cooking dinner and making sure like my husband has dinner at six o'clock. I love like the whole, like, let's pretend you're a 60 Southwipe and have this cocktail ready. Like I still love to do that stuff. I think that's fun. That is awesome. Yeah. And, I, and I love your perspective on, on everything. Um, you know, Alex, thanks for being on the show. Like I could see you being in Broadway. Like I could see that. <laughs> I know, right? Like, why did I not have that? Um, well, Broadway got hit hard, so we're just gonna yeah. say, let, let's yeah, just say actually, that you can be. You have your own Broadway. You have your own <laughs> stage. You have practice <laughs> speaking. You have the your podcast with your dog. I remember that. Like, just it's <laughs> it's awesome, and I love that you're a champion for other people. And I did notice yeah. that at Disrupt HR, where you would left our table and you would go and you would be right in front of it right in front of stage each time you, whoever you coached, you'd be yeah. right there taking pictures to, like, and so I think that's just letting the listeners know what kind of, you know, what kind of person that you can be. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, if you're going to fail fast or fail, like do it yourself, see how it goes, ask for help, you know, yeah. have a business coach, you know, figure out things, write a bad book and put it in the, darkest corners of your computer but alex i really appreciate you being on the show um i learned that. a lot from uh, just from your dedication with with even just being being practically speaking thank you <laughs> so thank, thank you. you so much alex uh, it's a pleasure thank you so much and to all the converged coffee drinkers out there that's a wrap